Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today. And yes, if you're a regular attender here at Thrive, we're still in the book of Acts. Da-da-da, spoiler alert, right? Um, we've been in the book of Acts now for 15 weeks, journeying since Easter, looking at this, this unstoppable movement that you and I are a part of called Christianity. And how did it all begin? And so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 20, verse 17 this morning, Acts 20, uh, verse 17. There's one thing that's in common in every tombstone that you will see. The one thing that's in common is this. There's a dash on every one of them to give you a birth date and a death date. And that dash there is probably the most important thing on a tombstone. Because that represents our life and what happened in our life. Our whole life can be summed up in a dash. I remember one guy saying it this way. He says, people will talk about your dash at your funeral while they're eating potato salad, fried chicken, and green beans if you live in the South. And they're going to say one sentence about you. They're going to say one thing about you. They're going to tell memories about you. And I think all of us deep down inside, I think, in the, the, I think the drive of even the human heart is I want to make that dash count for something. Somehow, some shape, some form, I want to make that dash count. And I want to show you today how the Apostle Paul did that. He made his dash count. And I want to show you from his life how he did that. Now, he is now getting ready to go to Rome, headed to Jerusalem and then Rome. His ultimate goal was to visit and preach the gospel to Caesar, to preach the gospel to government leaders. And Paul's drive was this, if I can preach to them and I can get them to understand the gospel and receive the gospel, it could transform all of the Roman Empire. And that's what the Apostle Paul was after. Now, how did he get there? Remember, it's very important. You probably say, man, I hear this every week. I could, I could preach this back to you. If you can do that, I've done my job. Because I want you, and the reason I say this, when you open the book of Acts, which hopefully you will open it up some time from now, we'll not go back over that since we've gone through the whole thing, that you can say, oh, yeah, so here's who wrote it, why he wrote it, who's been written to, and the purpose of it. But if you're new with this and you haven't heard this, it's important to know about the book of Acts. I, it was written by a doctor named Luke who was a Gentile, the only non-Jewish author we know of in the New Testament. And he wrote from a place of facts and a place of research and a place of history because he wasn't, he wasn't there with Jesus, walking around with Jesus when Jesus um, did his ministry. Luke wrote that afterwards. And Luke became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection of Jesus. And what he does is, it's beautiful, he writes a letter to a friend named Theophilus. It means lover of God. We don't know if Theophilus had questions. We don't know um, exactly what was the need for Theophilus to have this, but Luke's need was this. He said, I want to write to you an orderly account of everything Jesus began to do and teach. Like, I want to write to you everything here about. He said, I know others have written gospels, and that's good that Mark and Matthew have written gospels. John's wasn't written yet. But let, but let me tell you this. I want to give you the facts. But then Luke follows up with Theophilus, doesn't leave him hanging with the book of Acts. And he wanted him to know the early church history. So when you read the book of Acts, it's the first 30 years of the early church. It's a history book that you can look at that he wrote for his friend Theophilus and that we have now we can look at. And what was the book of Acts about? It's about Jesus. When he resurrected, he spent 40 days with his disciples, appearing to them, teaching them after he resurrected. Then he goes to heaven. And before he goes to heaven, he gives a command to them. This is the whole book of Acts. 
He says, you go and pray. And when the Holy Spirit empowers you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They were Jews. And they were like, oh, Jerusalem, we got it. Judea. Oh, yeah, Judea. We, we vacation in Judea all the time. We love Judea. That's, our Jewish cousins are there. Samaria. The Sam what? We hate the Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Big racial divide. Didn't Jesus blow your minds? And he says to the outermost parts of the earth. And I guarantee his Jewish disciples are like, okay, we got Jerusalem and Judea. Somebody else will take care of Samaria and Adam's part. We're not doing that. And they did really well. So when Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came on them. And the, the, listen, Christianity exploded among the Jews. Exploded. Thousands being saved in one day. We saw amazing things happen in the book of Acts with that. Miracles and God doing great things. But they refused to leave Jerusalem and Judea. So what happened? A man named Saul was used to be able to go in, and God will sometimes use your enemies to get you to places you would never get before. That's another sermon for another day. But Saul comes in and begins to persecute Christians. He's a Jewish religious leader, the top of the food chain, right under Gamaliel, second in, in, in command. And his whole goal was to scare Christians into submission. Traveled town to town, and then finally it all came to a head. He killed one of the leaders of the early church named Stephen. And it shook the apostles. It shook the disciples. It shook all of those who were following. What did they do? They began to spread. Philip went to Samaria. They finally got to Samaria. The outermost parts were not hit yet. And Saul was on his way to go kill more Christians. That's what he did for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Just killed Christians, hurt Christians, put them in jail. He's on the way there with letters to do this, approval to do this. And Jesus shows up in the road, blinds him. Saul gives his life to Christ. 14 years, he's studying the Old Testament. He's an Old Testament scholar. He's a Jewish scholar of, that, of the Torah and the law and the prophets. He's studying. He's reading. And then the Lord launches him into ministry. And here's the cool thing. His ministry was not to the Jews. And he was the top Jewish teacher. His ministry was to non-Jews, which no Jew wanted to have a ministry to. They felt non-Jews like you and I, if they hung out and had dinner with you, they couldn't go to synagogue. They were unclean. So they're not hanging out with you and eating dinner with you before they go to Saturday synagogue. Just know that. Because now you're unclean. So they didn't they would have nothing to do with us and the Gentiles. And God calls Paul to do that. So he's fighting Jews his whole life who are mad at him. And he's trying to reach these non-Jews. That, that was Paul's ministry was the outermost parts of the earth. And they're finally getting there. And now we catch up that Paul is on his third and final missionary journey Things are winding down for Paul as far as where he'll end up getting to Rome. He'll spend many years in Rome before he's martyred. But what happens today is a very special passage of Scripture. It's one that is very dear. You see the heart of Paul. Because what you see in the book of Acts, you see Paul the evangelist. He's traveling. He's planting churches. He's preaching. There's miracles. It's amazing. And then you see Paul the pastor today. Because Paul didn't usually have the ability to stay in a place very long. He stayed in Thessalonica for two weeks, and they tried to kill him. He's like, hey, listen, y'all, you've accepted Jesus? Go get him. i got to get out of here. I will be killed. Right? You'll be fine. Johnny's your elder. You'll do good. Just show up each week. Break bread together. Take communion. Like, listen to the letters I send you. You'll be good. He had to get out of there. Two weeks, he started a church, Thessalonica. Wrote two letters to them called uh, First and Second Thessalonians. And so he didn't have a chance to spend a long time at places, but in Ephesus, he spent, you'll see this, three years with the church at Ephesus. Three years. He had a very close relationship with them. They loved him as their pastor. Most of the people in the book of Acts that Paul ministered to only saw Paul as the traveling evangelist. 
And what Paul shows us here is that Paul makes a super hard decision for the gospel. He has, he knows that his friend Agabus said, hey, listen, man, the Lord's shown me that you go to Jerusalem, it's over for you. And his friends begged him not to go, and he's on the way there, and he wants to stop in to have a special visit with his friends that he pastored for three years. Now, don't you look at Acts 20, 17 as we jump in here. And it says, but when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from de the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came from me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks, meaning Gentiles alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in the Lord, our Lord Jesus. That's the gospel right there. And he tells them that that's the one thing. He says this, and now I am bound by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me that in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. If you knew that was what, what, what your future was, you, can we be honest? We would try to opt out of that. Right? Let's just be honest. I mean, or maybe you're way too spiritual for that, but if I kind of knew that this is going to be my life, and God showed me that glimpse of it, I'd probably say, yeah, I think I'll do something else. And he says this, though, and this is the key to how Paul made his dash count in life. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. And if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I did not shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. And then he gives them warnings at the church at Ephesus. And he says, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. He says, watch out. Remember the three years I was with you? My constant watch and care over you night and day with my many tears for you. He had consistent, constant care. He had a pastoral heart for them, and it meant for he wept tears over them. See how much the Apostle Paul cared about this church here? He says this, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he, Paul, had finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed with them. They all cried and embraced him and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. And they escorted him down to the ship. 
Imagine that scene there, crying of tears of prayer. This relationship that Paul had with them. We see that everywhere else he was okay leaving. He was, he was all right. This shook Paul. This, 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 this did something to Paul to have to leave the church at Ephesus because the relationship that they had built. And what it says here, Paul says, I must do this because my life is, a, is, is living on assignment for the Lord Jesus has called me to. Now think about the Apostle Paul. I know in life, and listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't have nice things in life, but the Apostle Paul was set for life being the leading pharisaical teacher, the leading teacher of the Jews under Gamaliel. He was getting ready to be in charge of it all. It's like, almost like the Pope in Catholicism, right? Like he was going to be elevated. He had studied and worked for years at this. I know his parents were proud of him, that, that little, you know, little Paul's on, or little Saul's going to be able to, little Saul, he's going to grow up and be the, the lead teacher. Can you, can you imagine that? And he gives everything up to become servant of all. Why? Because of the gospel. He gave his whole life to live on mission. As we look at this passage here, I want us to look at Paul's life and how he made the dash count, and I want us to do the same thing. And here's what I want you to understand that Paul is trying to convey to them about his life, because all his friends are hoping he doesn't go to Jerusalem. But if Paul was to sit with us today and talk to us, here's what he would say. He would say, living without mission is a life not worth living. Living without mission is a life not worth living. Paul even said in in the letter to the church of Philippi, he said, I count all of the stuff that I had before as dung. If you don't know what dung is, Google it. That his whole heart was captured by Christ. And I want to tell you that that's one of the values of Thrive Church is to help you understand to live on mission. It's not come to church, be a good person, go home and try to do good things. The message of the gospel is is that Jesus has redeemed us and saved us and rescued us from the pit of hell and has given us purpose. And everywhere we go, everywhere our foot sets, some of you will go today and eat lunch after church. Can I please, I beg you, number one, tip your waitress. 20% is the standard. And then you can put on there, Jesus loves you. You may even want to be led of the Holy Spirit to ask the waitress, him or her, a waiter, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Everywhere you go, God has you on mission. And that's what I want you to understand that is so dear to Thrive Church. We have four major values that are behaviors we want you to live out. What are the family behaviors? I want all of you to live on mission. And why is that? Because God has given us an assignment for the 650K. What does that mean? It's not money. It's not all that. 650K, and some of you were the 650K, are people who are not connected to a local church in Richmond. 650,000 have declared through, through research and surveys they have no connection to a local church, and most of them have no affiliation with any religion. The largest and fastest growing religious group in America is actually not a religious group. It's called the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S's. None. They have no religious affiliation. And that is our mission. That is our, that's Thrive's assignment. That's why we do what we do for church planting in Richmond. We bless other churches in Richmond. You, you'll get to hear about something we did recently. For a local church, we bless their socks off because they're not our competition. I need them to reach the 650K. Well, we can't do it. It's not about Thrive Church. And, it's, and listen, in reaching people for the gospel, it's not about Thrive Church. That's just a name, y'all, a box we meet in. 
It's you and I understanding that I don't care how much you don't know about the Bible or, or, or how uneducated you are. I don't care if you feel like you're, you don't know enough or your self-worth's not high enough. God wants to use you on your daily route at work, at home, at school, with everybody you come in contact with to be his representative for the gospel. And I can tell you this, if you want to have a gospel worth living for, you must have a gospel worth dying for. And my fear is, especially in the modern day church, we don't preach the gospel anymore. It's four ways you know, that, to, to have a better life. It's seven ways to a better marriage. God, won't you have that? Yeah, sure, that's great. But I think we lose the essence of that. And Charles Spurgeon wrote this. As I was studying this week, it really gripped my heart. He said this, Spurgeon said, yet there used to be a gospel in the world which consisted of facts which Christians never questioned. There was once in the church a gospel which believers hugged to their hearts as if it were their soul's own life. There used to be a gospel in the world which provoked enthusiasm and commanded sacrifice. Tens of thousands have met together to hear this gospel at the peril of their lives. Men, to the teeth of tyrants, have proclaimed it and have suffered the loss of all things and have gone to prison and to death for it, singing psalms all the while. Is there not such a gospel remaining? And when your heart is gripped by the gospel, and you know it's a gospel worth dying for, then you can have a gospel worth living for, and your whole life can be used for that in the most simplest of ways. And here's what that means. What, what does it mean? It means this. Here, write this down. Living a life on mission is where the gospel matters most. That's what it means. What does living on mission really mean? The gospel matters most. Christ be glorified. The name of Jesus be made known. The death, burial, and resurrection, the greatest event in human history, has to be proclaimed. Because that's the message that changed my life, and you must believe it's the message that will change everyone else's life. The Apostle Paul said that it was the gospel that will send him to his death in Rome. Because that is what mattered most. And I want you, if you consider yourself a believer... If you're not sure yet, if you want to follow Jesus, hey, we're here. We want to help you make that decision. But if, but if you are, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Does the gospel matter most in your life? Is that the driving force of everything that you do? Is that what motivates you? And you can easily say, let me say this. If this is not guilt. You can say, actually, it's not, Kevin. I'm going to be honest with you. No, actually, the gospel's not. That's, that's good. If you're honest, the Lord can use you. And then he can help you with that. Because if you want your dashed account, have a life where the gospel matters most in your life. And here's what that means. Living on mission isn't a life of honing, but a life of humbling. It's not a life of honing, but a life of humbling. What that means is this. If you live on mission, it's not that you have to have everything perfect. It's not that you can copy and paste someone else's lifestyle and try to live that out. For example, um, like, the, like, like Pastor Mark, Richmond Campus. He leads everybody he meets to Jesus. And actually, he doesn't. He does have a lot of failures in that, and he'll tell you that. But if you look on social media, that dude's always leading somebody to Jesus. He has a podcast called Evangelism on Fire. He's always closing the deal with Jesus, right? You go out to eat with him sometime. He literally is like, the waitress comes up, and I, I am not as good as he is. But that's his lane that God has given him and the grace that God has given him, right? The worst thing I can do is say, you know what? I don't want to hone in on what Mark's doing. I need to humble myself and accept the lane that God's given me. And the avenues that God has given me. Some of you say, I'm, well, I'm not very upfront. I don't want to go talk to people. That's okay. 
pray and ask, the, ask God, say, God, I'm really, I'm kind of, I'm kind of scared. Will you kind of open that door up for me? Because I don't know how to do it. You know what God will do for you? He'll open the door up for you. You've got to understand that it's all about humbling. The apostle Paul probably would have rather been the apostle to the Jews because he knew everything Jewish. He was everything Jewish. But the grace God put on his life was when he had to be humbled because he had the gospel to the Gentiles and he began to be hated by his own fellow Jews. It's not fun being hated by people you grew up with. And for you, you have to learn to humble yourself and accept the graces and the gifts that God's given you. Every one of you are gifted in here. You say, I don't know my gifts. It's okay. Ask God to reveal them to you. Every one of you. Isn't that beautiful? You all have a grace on your life. And your grace is not my grace, and my grace isn't your grace. We're all graced differently. And it takes us being humble. Some of you are seed planters. You're not closers like Mark. You're going to help somebody think about the gospel. And you may never see a lot of people come to faith in Christ. I, you know, I, one thing that does drive me kind of crazy, which I understand, is like, you know, there's like, I've got the percentage, but like one-third of Christians have never led anybody to the Lord. Now, I understand we all should be leading people to the Lord. That's right. Like, soul winners, gospel saints, that's true. And I hope you do have that opportunity. But it may be that you're a seed planter. And your whole life, you're, you're introducing the gospel to people. And then somebody comes along, like, like Mark, comes along the way and leads them to Jesus and kind of closes the deal for you. Be okay with the lane that God has given you. And that's what Paul did. He was okay with being the, God, the, the, you know, the, the leader to the Gentiles. But here's what I want you to understand, and this is why this is important, guys. Without living a life on mission, then you will end up missing out. The one thing you don't want to have in life is regrets. You don't want to get to the end of that, that life where that dash has that date on the end, and you look back and you're regretful because of all the missed opportunities, that you never leveraged your life for the gospel. You never lived for the one that died for you, being Jesus. And that's my, that's my cry to you as you look at the Apostle Paul's life. If you're struggling with purpose, purpose is not found in doing this here. I work with a lot of extremely clinically depressed pastors that are on medication for it because this doesn't solve it. If you want to find purpose in your life, it is not by saying, if I could just get a platform or a stage or if I just knew what I had to do, if you just will get up every morning and leverage your life for the gospel, whatever God's given you, however God's given you with resources, you will find purpose in your life. But you have to understand this, that you cannot live a life without putting everything into Jesus and then have regrets at the end. If you put your whole life into Christ and you're focused on him, when you get to the end of your life, the Apostle Paul said, I have been faithful and I have finished the course. And that's what my prayer is for you. So for me, I know I made a big mistake. Um, I started a Christian band. That wasn't a mistake. When I got saved, I started a Christian band. And the band, it was crazy. We were a small town. It's not hard to find any musicians. I trained our bass player. He didn't have to play bass. I said, I'll teach you. The drummer was a kid that, I, well, not a kid, but he's my age, that I'd played basketball with, and he didn't really have any friends. I saw him at a subway one night, like, you know, like, when you know, eat, we're eating. I was like, hey, man, where have you been? Like, hey, I'm starting a band. He's like, cool, let me, I'll join it. It's a small little town. We started a Christian punk rock band, so it wasn't popular music. That's, that's all I knew. I got saved, and I said, I'll play, play Christian punk rock. And, and the Lord blessed it. And everywhere I get, went, I shared the gospel. I was all about Jesus. It was all about the Lord. And then the bigger the crowds got, 
And then I'd go play with another band. They had bigger crowds. I noticed that they were kind of like, you know, they weren't really as upfront with the gospel, and they could kind of reach a bigger group. Then I was like, well, I just want to reach more people, and I started shying away from what the Lord had called me to do, to the fact that I actually ended that one band and started a whole new side project that was different music, and we weren't going to have anything overtly Christian in it. And I did that for several months, and then I realized this. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was hiding the gospel because I wanted to be popular. I wanted a bigger following. And I remember the Lord confronted me on that one day when I was studying and reading scripture, and I went to the guys that were in that side project. I said, I'm done with it altogether. I'm just done. I'm walking away from this. I don't want to do this. I said, because the crowds are never big enough. There's never, it's never, enough is never enough, right, if it's not the gospel. And I quit it. A few months later, I told some of the guys, I said, hey, man, I said, there were two guys. I said, do you love Jesus? They said, we sure do, man. I said, because there were guys in our band who didn't love Jesus at all. All they want to do is be rock stars. And there's two guys, and I said, do you, do you, do you still love Jesus? I said, well, I love Jesus. I said, hey, look, here we're going to do. The old band I used to have, we're going to go back and we're going to play some shows, and we're going to focus on the gospel. Focus on the gospel. To the fact this, when you played shows, you got to play the pre-service or pre uh music for the pre whatever you got if you headline you got to show that we played keith green if you don't know who keith green is go listen to him on spotify he was like the christian version of elton john back in the day because i didn't give a flip anymore i was tired of playing the crowds i was tired of playing the audiences and i said i'm going back to the fact i didn't used to we should like make sure our, our outfit was right and this was right there i went out there barefooted in a pair of shorts just an old raggedy t-shirt i didn't care anymore because I said, I'm going to make the gospel the main focus. And friends, in my life, that has been, from that day, I made that decision, and I've never looked back. And can I tell you, I don't regret one thing. I don't regret not being popular. I don't regret not getting a couple more albums. None of that. And I want to submit that to you today. That if you're going to get to a life on mission, it's this. To live out a calling means Jesus has to call the shots. In your life, is it Jesus calling the shots of your life? That's what he did to me. He said, Kev, you're doing this for your own personal good. If you want a life and a dash that counts, do it for me. Live for me. Be abandoned to me. And I don't have one single regret from that because I've let Jesus call the shots. I've let him be Lord of my life. It's not just enough to say I believe in Jesus. Is he your Lord? He was Paul's Lord. If Jesus said jump, Paul said how high? And that's what we have to do. And what I want to do as we close today is give you four lessons you can learn from a life on mission from Paul. Four lessons quickly from a life on mission from Paul. Number one is this. One message matters most. If you want to live on mission, you got one message. It's Jesus Christ, crucified, Son of God, only way to heaven. He rose again on the third day. He is Lord. He sits at the right hand of God. He will come back one day, and he will judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel, and that's the one message we must have, the one message. Acts 20, 21 says this. Paul says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. That's the one message that mattered most to him. Can I ask you a question? Do you have one message that matters most? One message. Here's the second lesson we have to learn from Paul. Submission to the Spirit means suffering. 
And I'm sorry at Thrive Church, you have to be taught on suffering. I know that's not what you want to wake up on a July Sunday morning at the here. But when you submit to the Holy Spirit and what God has for your life, it doesn't mean your life will always get better. Right? Jesus didn't come to give you a better life. He came to make you better at life. And it will mean suffering sometimes for you. Look at what the, what the Apostle Paul says about his life on mission. He says, and now I am bound by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who you receive when you accept Christ, to go to Jerusalem. He said, I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Suffering. I told you before, if I knew what God had for me, like, you know, like, I wouldn't do it. If I would have known, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you, when I first joined, like, started ministry 20 years ago, if I would have known all the suffering I have to go through, and some of you guys have, have heard that, I probably would have opted out for something else. And said, look, Lord, I'll go work in business, and I'll give all the money you want to the kingdom. I did not want to go through that. But when you submit to the Lord, that will mean suffering in your life. Jesus was the Messiah of suffering, and sometimes we will suffer for the gospel. The third lesson is this. Those closest to you will criticize you the most. Isn't this encouraging today? You're going to suffer, right? You're going to criticize. Like, is anybody get saved today? Want to accept Jesus? But look what Paul says. He says this, I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. And then he says this, even some men from your own what? Group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Paul faced criticism. You're going to hear about this in the coming weeks from people that he grew up with. Criticism from those that he even led to Christ that tried to corrupt the churches he led. Guys, when, when you have a life on mission and you're living for Jesus, you're going to get criticized. My greatest criticism came from my dad until later in life, right before he passed away, he actually was proud of me. Before then, he, had, he cussed me out for the gospel. I've had people closest to me who have hurt me the most in Christianity and in church. And that's just going to happen. It happened to Paul. It's going to happen to you. And the fourth and final lesson is this. If you want to live a life on mission, generosity is the currency of mission. If you could like have a, how do I know I'm living on mission? Generosity is the currency of mission. Look what Paul says in Acts 20, 33 to 35. He says, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. And then he says this. It's not in the Gospels. This is oral tradition. But he said this. He says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So let me ask you a question. If we're to look at a paper trail of your life, of your time and your money... Can anybody that did, that did an audit of your life with that dash say that Jesus meant something to you? They may see that like, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods or Cabela's or golf, that meant, that meant a whole lot to that guy. Kate Spade meant a lot to that girl. Come on, women, I got you too. Target, Capital One. Could they look and say, man, gospel really matters. After my mom died, I told you this. We had so many people she gave to. My dad and I were blown away that he had any money at all. <laughs> he said, I don't know how in the world I even survived. I didn't know she was giving all these, all these places. Why does gospel matter to her? With your time, it's why I surveyed how much time you spend with the Lord, how much time you spend serving, how much time you, could they say, 
Oh, yes, it's a life of mission. See, generosity is the currency of mission. So here's my call to action for you. Survey your life this week and ask if any if you say, I'm not living a life on mission. The gospel doesn't matter much. Just be honest. God's not mad with you. We all have things we got to work on. But go to him and say, God, give me a fire for the gospel. David said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Go to the Lord with that and ask him to do that in your heart. And you'll make your dash count for something. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just humbly come to you and we ask lord that you would help us to live a life that is on mission for the gospel give us a spark no matter how young or old we are no matter how new to the faith we are no matter what questions we have give us a spark for the gospel that we can help change lives and i just pray right now there are people who think that the little things they say to someone doesn't matter May you show them this week the little things they have done and they have shown the seeds they have planted will come to fruition. Help them understand that there are people here who struggle with self-worth they're not good enough. Show them, Lord, that they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And because of who lives inside of them, greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. I pray that over them right now. Courage among every Christ follower in this place and watching online today. And as we close today in prayer, maybe you say, you know what? I want to give my life to Christ so I can actually live on mission. I want to surrender to him. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. You say, God, I repent. I turn from my old life. Leave it behind. I give my life to Christ today. I accept Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I surrender to Him. For I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe He rose again on the third day. And I believe He is Lord. Today I make Him my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for giving me purpose and giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would.